Pastor Jim Graff's A Significant Life Ministry invites you to be a part of what God is doing around the globe. To be a part of what A Significant Life is doing worldwide, visit asignificantlife.com. We sure hope you're in the midst of a great season in your life. But in those areas where you're believing for that, instead of enjoying that, we'll be sharing great biblical insight with you that can change things. Yes, we will. And I'm so glad that the Bible gives us clear instruction regarding the common battle we have. Because it's clear that sin and the powers of evil bring the potential for oppressive outcomes into all of our lives. But Jesus made it clear that He wants us to live with power that will overcome all the works of our enemy. And our In the Middle series is making God's plan clear too. And today we'll learn what Jesus taught that can cause us to overcome current or potential oppression. I like this series title, The Middle, because of what it entails. I don't know if you're like me. I wouldn't consider myself a quitter, but if I am a quitter, I'm what I call a middle quitter. Okay, here's what I mean. You don't quit at the beginning. Like, you don't even know what it's like yet. Who quits at the beginning? You don't quit at the end because, you know, you're almost there. Just tough it out. You'll be fine. But the easiest time for me to quit is right in the middle. Because you're already like tired and then you hit the middle and you're like, I'm only halfway done. Anybody else think like this? Sometimes, not often, sometimes I get on the treadmill. I kind of think that's from the enemy of God. But every now and then I brave the storm and I step on there. Whether I'm running a mile, three miles, five miles, I always come to a point when I hit the middle of my run where I think, I don't know about this. So if I'm running a mile, I'll hit 0.5 and I'm like, mm, I think my joints hurt. <laughs> you know, start making up excuses. I don't think this is for me. Maybe I'm running three miles. And the same thought doesn't hit my head until I hit like a mile and a half. And then when I'm in a mile and a half, it's like, I don't know. I think the smoothie machine thing is working in the gym. I might go pay that a visit, see what they're doing. See what they're, I like those guys, right? Or maybe you run five miles. No, I never ran five miles in my life. I never do that. I'm just trying to make myself look good, okay? Now, I will say this. This is maybe a more uh, relatable example. Let's say you're going to cut your grass, okay? And it's a mild Texas day. It's only like 150 degrees outside. Not a big deal, okay? So you go and you cut the front yard, okay? And you get done with the front yard. You're feeling horrible though. You need an IV just to stay hydrated because it's so hot outside. And then you're like, man, I'm only halfway done. I'm in the middle. I still gotta cut the back. And that's when... At least for me, I don't know about you, but that's when in my head I'm like, nobody looks at the backyard anyway, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because you do it too. And it's been like seven times in a row that I said that because I keep quitting in the middle. And so the front yard is beautiful. It looks like better homes and garden. But in the backyard, I could hide a body. I could hide a treasure map. I could hide anything back there and you ain't going to find it for days. It's easy to quit in the middle. That was true of the Israelites too. See, the reason I'm saying this is because in the story that we're looking at today, there's a man named Moses. Everybody say Moses. And Moses is leading the Israelites from Egypt, 
where they were slaves, where they were oppressed. He's leading them from Egypt and they're going into Canaan. So, so they're out of Egypt, but they're not to Canaan. They're actually in the middle of their journey, right? They're not where they were, but at the same time, they're not completely into the promise that they're supposed to walk into. And I just started thinking like, man, that's us. Like if we can relate to a story in the Bible, we should be able to relate to this because all of us, I think, are in the middle of our journey. How many of you are not where you were when God found you and you're thankful he found you? Exactly. But at the same time, you're also not exactly where you want to be. We are in the middle and like us, or at least like me, Israel struggles in the middle. So much so that like me wanting to get off the treadmill or only cut the front of my yard, they want to literally turn back and return to Egypt, which is crazy to me because in Egypt is where they were beaten in Egypt is where they weren't given enough food. Sometimes in Egypt, they would say, hey, do this project, but they wouldn't give them enough tools and resources to do the project. So I'm sitting here thinking, how could Israel want to turn around and go back to where enslaved them in the middle of their journey? And I started thinking about how come we want to do that sometimes? How come we don't want to walk this thing out and we'd rather go back to the life that God pulled us out of? And I started to realize that in the middle, Often what's behind us feels more comfortable and more familiar than what's in front of us. And that's kind of a dangerous place to be, where what's behind you feels more comfortable and more familiar. I think a lot of people are living their life like this. Maybe you're here right now and God brought you out of something awesome, but he has not quite fully brought you into what he's bringing you into, so you are doubting it. You're wanting to turn back. You're wanting to quit. It's hard because at least back there, it feels familiar. But let me just remind you, we are to walk by faith. We are not to walk by what's familiar. Sometimes if we just get going, oh, let me do this because it's familiar and this is how my parents did it and it worked out fine. And yeah, no, no, no. God says, I got something for you. Walk by faith. See, God will get us out of Egypt, but sometimes we got to get Egypt out of us. We, we got to get that little voice in our head This says, no, this is too hard. God's lying. No, God's not gonna do what he said. That's Egypt and us. That's not us in Egypt. And sometimes we're tempted to turn back and go to the thing that was enslaving us and oppressing us in the first place. But we're not gonna do that. And I wanna remind you today that God is not a halfway God. You know what I mean? God is not the kind of God that'll say he's gonna bring you out of something and then just leave you stuck in the middle. My Bible says, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So what I believe is that each and every single one of us have something that God wants to not just bring us out of, but bring us into and complete in our lives. But we gotta know how to handle these seasons where we are in the middle. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at Israel and we're gonna see three things. Everybody say three things. Three things that they had to do to overcome what was oppressing them. I'm gonna set the scene here, okay? So Israel is out of Egypt and they're trying to get to this land called Canaan. Why? Because that's the land God promised them. Look at this in Exodus 3, 8, it says, so I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. So watch this. God says, I'm gonna give you this awesome land, but 
There's people living there right now and you're going to have to fight for it and you're going to have to go in there and conquer it. Which feels like a good place to just stop and say, just because God promises you something doesn't mean you won't have to fight for it. Like God's promises do not give us permission to be passive and just say, all right, well, bring it, Lord. No, no, no. God promises you peace, but sometimes you still got to fight for your peace. God promises you joy, but sometimes you still got to fight for your joy. God promises to be your provider, but sometimes you still got to roll up your sleeves and get to work. So, so the land is there, but they got to fight for it. So look what God tells Moses to do. Numbers 13, one through two. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. So I don't know if you ever played sports, but you know, if your team's going against another team, sometimes you go and you scout the, the team and you look like, okay, this is their three-point shooter. This guy's trash, you know, whatever. So Moses gets 12 people and he says, look, I need y'all to go out and figure out what we're up against here. You know, is the land good? Is the food good? How about the people? Are they big or are they small? You got Pastor Jim, you got Miss Tamara. Who's in there, okay? Is the, is, is the city fortified or can we just, you know, kind of slip on in? So 12 spies go, they're, they're doing their report, they're looking around and they come back and Moses says, all right, I need answers, people. What'd you find? And it says in Numbers 1330B, this guy named Caleb, he's the guy we're looking at today. Caleb was full of faith. And he said, let's go at once and take the land. He said, we could certainly conquer it. I like him. I like him. But then look at all these other crybabies he got on the team, okay? Numbers 13, 31, 33, it says, but the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anybody who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. You notice how they just keep talking about how big the enemy is? Like that was their whole report. How was it? They're huge. They're giants. They were, we were like grasshoppers next to them. Listen what they're doing. They're making the enemy bigger than God. And I think that we do this all the time. We give so much thought and so much attention to all the stuff coming against us and not necessarily the right thought or attention to the God who's fighting for us. So, I call it magnifying the enemy. All right, I bought a magnifying glass just because it's fun. Keep your attention. Ah, okay. Let's say, let's say you go to work and you had, you know, a pretty good day. Everything for the most part went good. Maybe even somebody gave you a compliment. But on your way home, right as you're about to leave, that lady that you don't like to work with said some ugly, crusty comment to you and it just rubbed you the wrong way. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to go home, and despite all the good that happened today, you're going to think about that one comment. We all do it. It sticks in our head. Like, there's so much we could think about, but what has the real estate? Oh, she said my head was big. You know, you have a normal size head. You're fine. And you just think about it. You go to work with a chip on your shoulder. Her head's big. My head's not big. Her hair's not even real. And you just start making these conversations up in your head. That's called magnifying the enemy. 
Or let's say it's not something that somebody did to you. Maybe it's just something you did and you're ashamed of it. And so you're sitting there and you're magnifying it, thinking, I'm so stupid. How could I do that again? I mean, I'm such a bad parent or I'm such a bad friend or I knew to, you know, and, and what happens? You think about it, think about it. It's called magnifying the enemy as if God's grace isn't real, as if Jesus doesn't say, hey, repent, go and sin no more. I still got something for your life. One mistake, you gotta choose what you magnify. See, I'm not saying, oh, throw the magnifying glass away. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying you gotta move the magnifying glass to where it belongs, You got to move the magnifying glass to its rightful place. See, to overcome what oppresses us, first of all, we have to make God bigger than our enemies. Make God bigger than our enemies. David was so good at this. David wrote a lot of Psalms and this is one of my favorite ones. It's Psalm 34, three through eight. Look how good he is at magnifying God. He says this, Psalm 34, three through 10. He says, oh, and what's the second word there? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. Look how good David is at just getting the character of God and reminding himself. He says, this poor soul cried and he was heard by the Lord and he was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for you who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer want and they suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. He was good at magnifying his God. So here's my question to you. What are you magnifying? Like if you were honest with yourself, what takes the main space in your head, in your heart, when you're up late thinking, what are you thinking about? Are they thoughts that magnify God or make your enemy too big? Because each and every one of us have the tendency to do this. And we got to move the magnifying glass to see a better truth. Not to the world, but to the word of God. You know, Caleb was in the exact same situation. Caleb saw the same giants, the same thing. He knew the situation was tough. And I'm not saying your situation's not tough. I'm just saying that you got to learn to see it differently. God is with you. He's for you. We got to magnify him. One more time. Everybody say magnify. At the end of the day, I think we're running so fast and it can be hard for us to slow down and really set our heart on God. Like you ever do drive-by prayers? That's what I call them. You're like, gotta get to work. You're like, God help me with my day today. Amen. You ever do that? This is me. You're stressed. Like, God help me not be stressed. Amen. It's like, did you pray today? Kind of. Yeah, sure. I think it's like this. I thought about this laying in bed last night. You ever see those dotted traffic lines on the highway? And they're, they're to tell you whether or not you can pass. Does this sound familiar? If not, I don't want to drive with you ever. Right, they tell you if you could pass. Well, the other day Eden and I had this argument about how big those lines are. I was like, hey babe, how long do you think the lines are on the highway? She was like, I don't know, probably like three, four feet. And I was like, wrong. I took driver's ed in Victoria, Texas with Miss Tina Garner, thank you. I said, I know that the state requires that those lines on the highway to be 10 feet long. They don't look like 10 feet. When you're driving, 75, 95, if you're my mom, you're driving and you just see 
They look like they're like a little yard out there. But I promise you, like if you were to slow down and actually look at it, they're 10 feet long. And I realized like, you know, God is like this. God is way bigger than we give him credit for. But do we ever really slow down enough to look? Do we ever slow down enough and quiet our lives enough to magnify him? Do we ever open the scriptures and read like, okay, Jesus, look, if you did it for Moses, if you did it for David, if you sent us Jesus and Jesus left us the Holy Spirit so we could do even greater works than you, then I don't really have to be super afraid of what's going on right now. We have got to get in this habit of Christians of magnifying our God, not our enemy, or else we're going to be like the other spies who say, we can't do it when the promise is waiting, sitting there, ready to be taken. We've got to magnify our God to overcome what oppresses us, make God bigger than our enemy. But what else? Let's continue the story. Uh, Caleb says, we can do this. And everybody else is like, no, we can't. And then it says in Numbers 14, one through four, then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. I know that's funny to me. It's just suck it up. Verse two. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted amongst themselves. Let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. I read that and I'm like, what? You see what's happening? They magnify the enemy and then they're like, oh, we're gonna die. And then their emotions are spinning out of control and they're like, you know what? Let's just return to Egypt. Now, we all know those people that can get 100% emotional and they just, you know, stew in their feelings. I know because I am one of those people, okay? I just like to sometimes, like if I have a bad day, I just like to put on some sad music and just sit there. I'll be in the garage. And he's like, you coming in? I'm like, you had a bad day. Take it on. <laughs> no, I'm busy. I don't know. I just, I like it. But each and every single one of us has the capacity to let our emotions dictate what we believe to be true and to overcome what oppresses us. We can't just make God bigger than our enemies, but secondly, we have to make truth greater than emotion. We have to make truth, everybody say truth, greater than emotion. Let me show you a good indicator that maybe your emotions are getting all out of control. I've learned this. See, when emotions get out of control, we make things personal, permanent, and pervasive. Watch it. When your emotions are getting out of control, you make things personal, permanent, and pervasive. We'll say things like, I, personal, always permanent. Mess up everything. Pervasive. It's like, no, you don't. You only mess up like 60% of stuff, not everything. <laughs> you just play. Or we'll say things like, they never, permanent, help me, personal, with anything, pervasive. When you notice yourself starting to say these comments that are personal, permanent, and pervasive, hey, stop. It's a good indicator that you're acting out of emotion, not really out of truth. Take, take a week to pray about it or you might end up taking a year to be bitter over it. See, we, we got to get in this habit of saying, nope, I'm not gonna overreact. And here's one of the most dangerous parts about being led by our emotions. When our emotions get amplified, like these other spies that are saying, we can't take the land. When that happens, 
it's so much easier for us to fall into old habits. Look at uh, 14.3 one more time. It says, why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? They say our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And I'm just like, what? Where you were enslaved? Come on, man. Like, you know better than that. But when you're in the middle and your emotions are out of control, it is easy to fall back on what's comfortable. Let me say it like this. This is, you know, these are some ways that maybe this could happen. We had a prayer request not long ago. This guy had given his life to God and he'd asked God to, you know, get him out of the life he was living. And it was awesome. But he submitted this prayer request about how he didn't feel like following God anymore. He didn't feel like taking his family to church. He didn't feel like praying. He didn't feel like reading his Bible. He didn't feel like it. And and he was tempted to go back to his old ways. And I realized like, but that's just how the enemy works. When feelings become greater than truth, it was easy for him to fall back into the same life that he raised his hand and asked God to rescue him out of. It's just how we go back to Egypt. We go back to the things that oppress us. Maybe for some of you, you're seeing how destructive your bitterness is. Somebody hurt you and and I'm sorry about that. But God's helped you see like, hey, this thing you're holding onto is weighing you down. And so you're like, all right, God, I'm giving it to you. But just because God is changing you doesn't necessarily mean he's changing the person that hurt you. So they might hurt you and then your emotions spiral again. And when they spiral, what do you wanna do? You wanna go straight back to the bitterness that weighed you down. It's just what happens. I preached a version of this message at camp and I told some of my students, I said, listen, I know that some of you guys are in unhealthy relationships right now and God's asking you, you know, to give those up because they're not good for you. And I said, I have faith that by the power of God, you'll be able to give those relationships up. I said, here's where I'm nervous. I said, not tonight. I said, but in a month from now, when you're not at camp anymore and your feelings are going crazy and you're like, oh, I miss them so much. I haven't talked to them in so long. And then you start justifying it. Well, maybe God didn't say that. Or maybe it's not as big of a deal as it was. And then the temptation is to go straight back to the thing that God pulled you out of in the first place. Listen, when our emotions are out of control, it's easy to fall back into what's comfortable. And you know, the worst part about magnifying the enemy and letting your emotions get out of control is it causes us to miss out on what God wants to do in our life. See, these people never made it to the promised land. It wasn't that long of a journey. It was, it shouldn't have taken 40 years, but they wandered for 40 years and they never made it. God says in Numbers 14, 22, he says, not one of these people will ever enter the land. They all compromised the end goal, but not Caleb. One more time, everybody say Caleb. Remember Caleb, God had a different prediction about Caleb. And this is what he said about Caleb. In Numbers 14, 24, he said, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He's remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of the land. Caleb was the only one who got to live in that promise. He got to experience the end goal. It was an incredible end goal. But you know what Caleb knew? And I think this is important for us to hear today. God's end goal for us is not to have an easy earthly life. That's not, it's never been his end goal. And Caleb knew that because watch this, 45 years later, Caleb is, he's 85 
now, 85 years old, and he goes back to the new leader and he's like, hey, I know that I'm supposed to be, you know, in, uh, inheriting the promise. And he reminds him, watch this, Joshua 14, 10 through 12. This is Caleb speaking. He says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, no steroid shot needed, okay, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. He says, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And it threw me off because he finally, he's 85. He finally gets to walk into the promise, but there was still a fight that had to be fought. And I realized the gift wasn't that there would be no fight. Caleb realized the true gift is knowing that God is gonna fight any battle for you. He still has this attitude and I think we need a perspective shift. Sometimes I think we get so down in the dumps because there's a battle we gotta fight and we're tired of fighting battles and I understand, but listen, God did not promise you a life without battles. He promised to be a God who goes before you and fight your battles for you. And we've gotta trust that. If, if we're not careful, it's easy to make the end goal of our faith some season where we're like, finally I can breathe. Finally, everything's smooth and nothing's going wrong. But the end goal of our faith isn't all that. The end goal of our faith is simply to be faithful. No matter what season we find ourselves in, to continue to follow God with all of our heart and trust that he's working in the middle of wherever we find ourselves at. Of course, we want things to be smooth. I'm not saying that. But when they're not smooth, we gotta be like Caleb and understand that faithfulness to God is the end goal. So to overcome what oppresses us, first, Make God bigger than your enemy. Everybody say enemy. Number two, make truth greater than your emotion. Everybody say emotion. And number three, make faithfulness your best end goal. Everybody say end goal. If you can do that, you're going to have an attitude different than the people around you. If you can do that, then you're gonna be somebody who overcomes all the things that come against you. Michael, that message brought real encouragement to my heart today. And one reason is I've seen so many Christians who live with strong opinions. In other words, they'll argue with anybody about theology, politics, and over a host of other things. And I'm not against that because we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, but we're also called to make disciples. And when I stand before Jesus, I know I'm gonna be rewarded even more for the disciples I've made than just the opinions I've held. And your generation has so many people who want to be helped so that oppression turns to victory through discipleship. That's right, Dad. And, you know, we need the kind of leaders the Apostle John wrote about in 1 John 2. He described the kind of fathers and mothers in the faith that please God's heart. They're spiritual fathers and mothers that help our next generation overcome evil. And they do that through helping our next generation understand God's love and truth better by doing the things spoken of in the message today. Dad, you encourage the parents of our church often to discuss each week's teaching with their children. And I want to encourage those watching today to do so as well. It really can cause sin's work to be stopped. I saw it in our home. Yeah, and God's Word makes it clear He can help that happen in all of our homes. So thank you for being with us today. 
Pastor Jim Graff's A Significant Life Ministry invites you to be a part of what God is doing around the globe. Partnering with several local agencies in our hometown of Victoria, Texas, our mission outreach exists to share God's love by providing meals to the homeless, restoring lives through our women's shelters, and working directly with our schools to invest in our next generation. Internationally, we continue providing food and supplies for Ukrainian refugees in Poland and building homes for those who lost theirs in the ongoing devastation of war. Our work in Syria offers church planters ongoing training and resources to be successful and effective. And in India, children forced into sex work are receiving a first-class education and an understanding of redemption through our House of Palms. For over 30 years, our ministry teams have been a huge part of blessing the unreached, marginalized, and forgotten through prayer, financial support, and training. But we cannot do it alone. Won't you consider joining us? To be a part of what A Significant Life is doing worldwide, visit asignificantlife.com. The Holy Spirit is a gift to all of us, given to us by God, sent from heaven to be our helper, are you living in the full power of this incredible gift? In Jim and Tamara Graff's new book, Maximum Impact, you'll learn the importance of living by the Holy Spirit and understanding practical ways to do so in your daily life, even in the most ordinary of times. Even Jesus knew that living the Christian life can be hard, but He never wanted us to live in our own strength. This book will help you see that every part of our life is open to change and we can achieve our maximum potential through the Holy Spirit. Are you ready to claim this promise that God has given to every believer and change your life? If you want more of our God and the kind of power it takes to make a maximum impact on our world, visit asignificantlife.com. And for your gift of any amount, receive your copy of Maximum Impact today. Visit asignificantlife.com.